All right, saints of God. Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. Let us turn our attention to the gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. Amen. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. Amen. And once again, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house. Amen. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, starting at verse 11, you will find these words. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry now his oldest son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, 
and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat. I might make, and I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fighting calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I want to speak to you for a few moments from the thought. Wisdom from a father with a strong-willed child. Wisdom from a father with a strong-willed child. This passage of scripture that I read in your hearing today is most popularly identified as the parable of the prodigal son. And if you are Bible readers and are familiar with this very familiar parable, you realize that the prodigal son is the younger of the two sons. So we get our focus on the younger son, but we must realize in the totality of this text, there are two sons. But in this text, the story is not just about two sons, but there's also a father. And there are also some hired servants. So many times this text is interpreted in light of a man, the younger son. But there is so much content in this passage, so, so many things that we can learn from this text, amen, not just about the younger, but also the older son. But today I want to focus on the father. I want to focus on the father because this text most likely is appropriate for all the fathers in the house. This text is a good text because a man most likely, almost if not all of our children are grown. So we find a situation in this text where the younger of two grown children now, a man, the younger one has decided, I'm ready to get out of here. I, I'm ready to do my own thing. And so he was impatient. He was he was impetuous toward the things and the wishes of his father. But today I want to focus on that father as well in light of these sons. Because a father, a godly father, is also one who's always a teacher. Just because our children have passed the age of 18 or 21 or 25 or wherever they may be in life, amen, God has set forth some things with the parents, amen, 
that the children never really know more than the parents do. And so you are always, at any time, in a mode to be teaching. Sometimes they don't want to hear it. Sometimes they don't want to learn your lesson. They don't want to grasp with it, but you are still always a teacher. Till the day that you stick your sword in the sand of time to study war no more, you will be a teacher to your children if they are alive. I, I remember in my own life, amen, when I, when I reached the age that I was, thought I was ready, I got my education to leave Texarkana, to leave the East Texas area and go to the big city to start my career. I, I thought I had learned a few things. I mean, after all, you know, I learned to get a job, get a car, you know, do some things. I thought I knew something. Amen. But I didn't realize how much different things would become when I went to a far country. I, I didn't realize that without God, without God's presence through my dad being right there around me, that more and more crooks and, and hooks would come into my life. I found myself in situations in the far country where I found myself picking up the phone and calling dad and saying, dad, what do I do about this? Dad, I don't even, I've never seen this before. I don't even know how this came about, but what do I do? And my dad so calmly and patiently and lovingly would, would, would coach me and mentor me and, and help direct me through the tumultuous ways of life. No matter how old your children get, you're always a teacher. In my family, I'm the youngest of nine children, amen. And so there is a lot of age between the oldest and the youngest. There's a lot of time in there. But even the oldest, amen, would call daddy from time to time and saying, Dad, I got a question. I need, there's something I need to deal with. What, how do I handle this? What do I do? And so many times I heard his wisdom being spoken and being able to grasp hold of some of that wisdom, even myself, as he was giving it to one of my siblings. You're always a teacher. But there's some other lessons for fathers in this text. Another lesson here is for as much as possible, you must treat your children the same. It's easy that when you have the one who is it's so defiant and then the one who's compliant to start to pour more into one who's compliant because it's easier. But in reality, that causes a serious breakdown. That causes division that you may not understand fully, but you must be wise to treat each child the same. There are going to be some differences because every child is different, but as much as humanly possible, you got to treat them the same. You can't let one know, or you can't say that you love one more than your other. You can't support one more than you support the other because they're watching. They're watching to see, well, if you do this for them, are you going to do this for me? We're not going to get into the out of orderness that's going on in this text 
first thing is his, it's, it's a cultural out of orderness here where we're dealing with the younger son coming to the father asking for the inheritance. Bible readers will find out that it is the older son, amen, who gets first dibs, amen. It was the birthright that was supposed to go to Esau, not to Jacob, amen. But this father being so patient and so kind, with wisdom, even though he knew that this was wrong, he decided to right at that time, as the younger one felt like I'm ready to go, I felt like I'm ready to do this thing my way. He decided to divide unto them their inheritance. All of the cultural norms were against this. All of his teaching was against this. But I just believe that the Lord is showing us that God has some wisdom and some things that transcend cultural norms. There's some things that God will lead us to do, fathers, amen, that won't meet societal norms. It won't be the way everybody else is doing it. Amen. Because we are a kingdom set apart, a holy kingdom set out from the world. Amen. We don't get our dictates. We don't get our direction from the world. We get our direction from God. So this father, in his wisdom and patience, he, he broke the norms. He, he broke the culture, and he decided right there to divide it among his two sons. But he treated them the same. He could have just gave that to the younger son and held on to the older, but no. He understood I got to treat them the same. If I'm going to give it to one, I got to give it to the other. But I see some other things in here that's applicable and see some things that are instructive to fathers. When he treated them the same and gave them the inheritance, he also looked at what was getting ready to happen. We must realize that at some point, amen, our child will need to get some off-site training. Our children will need to get some off-site training. See, as long as they are with us, they, they are under the auspices, they're under a lot of protection, they, they have a lot of padding, amen, that will not be there at the off-site training. Amen. They won't have the leverage. They won't have the, the inside roads. Amen. But it is part of the process. I, I don't know about you, fathers, but when my daughters decided that they were ready to go, amen, I had a hard time. I had a hard time with the whole situation, but yet I know they had to go. And I knew that they were going to suffer some things. Amen. That I didn't want them to suffer. But they had to get some off-site training. So the father allows the son to go on. Patiently and quietly with wisdom, he allows the son to go on. He knew that the son wasn't ready. He knew the son didn't understand how to handle his money, especially in strange places with crooks and sharks and everything else going to a strange land 
We see in the text that there were swine there. But we know that Jesus is talking to a Jewish community. So we get from that that the son left not only his culture, his community, but he went out of his nation. Because you know that the Jews don't like swine because they're unclean. But the father, with patience and wisdom, allowed his son to go. But I see something else in the text, and that is that the father did not constantly meddle in what the son was doing in the off-site training. Nowhere in this text do you see where the father got on a horse, got in his chariot, and he went to the faraway land to be right there with his son saying, what were you doing? Why are you doing this? Don't do this. Don't do that. No, he let the son go on to offside training all by himself. But really, was he all by himself? I don't think so. I don't think so because the God that we serve, is an omnipresent God. The God that we serve can be everywhere at all times. So I believe this father was in prayer about his son, saying to the Lord, Lord, go with him. Lord, be with him and protect him. Lord, Lord, mature him. Lord, do for him what I can no longer do for him myself. He's not listening to me anymore. He's not obeying my rules. He's not following my mandates, but Lord, he's in your hands. There comes a time when we have to put our children in the Lord's hands. We got to let God be God <laughs> because God has a way of doing some stuff with humanity that humanity cannot do with itself. So the son goes out and gets in a bunch of trouble, loses his money, wastes it with riotous living, prodigal living, as the text says. And it just so happens that a famine also comes to the land. I don't know about you, but in my spirit, I don't think that that was just a coincidence. I believe the God that the father served were putting things in order so that the son could be mature, so that the son could be shaken up, can be brought to their senses. But see, uh, you and I, we, we can't bring a family. Huh? Oh, we, we, can't, we can't join our children to the strange folks and citizens of another country. We don't know how to build the kind of storms that God can build to get his children back to where they're supposed to be when they're in off-site training. I'm just talking to you a little bit, fathers, about wisdom from a father with a strong-willed child. So God works with him, amen, while the father is praying. But I also want to, to say that with the prayer, fathers, we need to be anticipating with patience, believing God for that breakthrough. We need to believe that God is going to work it out. That which we cannot figure out. While we're scratching our heads about the behaviors, we know that the God that we serve knows all things and does everything and does everything well. And I see in the text that the Father exemplified that very behavior a prayerful behavior of anticipation waiting on the breakthrough from God. 
Because in the text, the text says, when the son came to himself and talked about the servants and realized that, huh, I can go back and be a servant and be better off than where I am right now. I, I will go to my father. And he began to act on the, the, the thoughts that he had in his mind. The story says that the father saw him afar off. Are y'all following me? The father didn't see him when he knocked on the door. No, the father saw him afar off. So that lets me know that the father never stopped having the children or their child on his mind. Never stopped praying. Never stopped anticipating God's deliverance. Never stopped anticipating a breakthrough. Did not give up on the child because they weren't giving up on God. So the father was continuing looking, looking to the day. We don't know how many days it took, how many years, but the father never gave up. Didn't give up on the child because he wasn't giving up on God. So a day came when he saw his son afar off. He hadn't forgot what his gait looks like. He hadn't forgot how he walked. He, he knew that that was his son. But you know what else he didn't do? He didn't chastise the son. He didn't stay on the porch and put his hand on his hip and have a scowl on his face. No, the text said he ran out to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Wisdom from a father with a strong-willed child. He realized that the child's problem was intrinsic. It was part of the fall of man. He said, my son was dead but is now alive. He was lost but now is found. He realized that the son had to be found by the Lord. Because the son couldn't find the Lord, the Lord had to find the son. So he went out with compassion and kissed him and fell on his neck. Amen. So we lead us to the next part of this where it says, we are, when our children come back, we ought to celebrate. Amen. And instead of interrogate. We don't see in the text anywhere where the father was like, where you been? What you been doing? How you, what is going on? All of that stuff. And, oh, let me see how you wear. You don't have no shoes on. You don't have, wait a minute, what you do with your clothes? No. He began to celebrate. Because we find in the text that he told him to get him a robe and get him some shoes. See, the son came back destitute. But the father redressed him. Amen. Celebrate instead of interrogate. He, he came back to, to lift him up. He ran out to hug him and kiss him and love on him. Not to deride him. Not to talk about him. Because it's a good day when your child who has been wayward, amen, comes back home. Comes back home spiritually. Comes back home knowing the Lord. Because the son said, I have sinned against heaven and you my father so now he's got a right relationship with God oh it's celebration time right there there are some of us today most likely that still have children that are wayward amen but in this text there are children that are wayward but they are still at home 
If you look at the story, there's an older son there too. And he had a real problem when the celebration started for the younger son. Which allowed me to realize that even though he stayed real close, spiritually he was far away. But fathers, when you know that's the situation, you got one close to you, but yet spiritually afar, you still got to keep looking. You still got to keep anticipating, believing God for the breakthrough. Because there have been many who some believe that would never be 30, 40 years, but yet God saved them. You can't count them out till God counts them out. And the last time I checked, you got to leave this earth. You got to die without knowing him. Every chance you get, every breath you take, every opportunity you get to get up is another opportunity to trust the Lord. So fathers today, this wisdom from this father, let us keep this in the forefronts of our minds when we deal with the trials and travails of our children, amen. Those who are still on off-site training, let us keep praying, keep anticipating, and keep looking for the breakthrough. We got to believe that God is God. And we shouldn't have anything less than believing that God is going to see our children through. We got to stay on the promises of God that says, train up a child in the way it should go. And when it is old, it will not depart from it. That is a proverb. It is a, it is a, 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 a way of living. Amen. It's a way of living. It's a, it's, it's a way that we must, while we have them, train them up in the admonition of the Lord. That when the breakthrough comes, they got something to break through with. Amen. Well, as I close this talk today on Father's Day about the wisdom from a father with a strong-willed child, I can't stop right there without talking about the greatest father that's ever been. I can't stop there without talking about a father who had only one son. A father who had one son that had a creation. A creation that had hopelessly gotten lost in the muck and mire of sin. A father who had one son that decided that his son could put on a body and come down to this muck and miry world, could come down and walk the dusty streets of Jerusalem. I'm talking about the greatest father that the world will ever know. I'm talking about the father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that the whosoevers that would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm talking about the greatest father that the world will ever know. That father allowed his son had never knew sin to walk among the sinful, to be spat on and talked about 
to be whipped, to be tortured, to be one who did good and they slandered his name. But this father could have sent a legion of angels to give retribution for his son. Could have sent down a legion of angels to destroy this whole wicked world. But the greatest father that the world ever known, he allowed his son to be whipped all night long. He allowed his son to go through six kangaroo courts for you and for me. I'm talking about the greatest father that the world has ever known. And they marched his son down the Via Della Rosa outside the walls of Jerusalem to a place called Calvary's Mountain. And they put nails in the father's son's hands and nails in the father's son's feet. And the father held his peace. And I found out that they lifted the son and put him down in a hole. But right there they messed up because the Bible says if the son be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. You see the greatest father that the world ever known. He had a plan for the whole world that he would reconcile the world unto him through his son. They left him on that cross from the third to the ninth hour and then he died. Then he died. He died on that old rugged cross for you but that's not the end of the story. They took him down off that old rugged cross and they put him in a bottle tomb. Somebody might say, why didn't he have a tomb of his own? Well, I'm here to let you know that he wasn't going to be there very long. The Bible says he was in that grave all night Friday he was in that grave all day Saturday and he was in that grave all night Saturday night but before the crickets began to sing their song before the frogs began to croak their music before the dew began to fall He said. 
for another 40 days. He stayed here a witness without a word. He stayed here one who would show that he had overcome death. Yes, he did. But when the 40 days was over, he stepped out on the cloud and went back to glory. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in a seating for you and for me. But this is the part that I like as well. Just because you've come in the church, it does not mean that the church is inside of you. But every chance we have to get to know the Lord, we can get to know him today. We can get to know him in the pardon of our sins, in the renewing of our minds today. The Bible says today, harden not your heart while it is yet today. You can come to Jesus just as you are. You don't have to get yourself fixed. You don't have to work it out. Just come as you are. Because there's some stuff you can't change anyway. God has to change it in you. Amen. Come unto
Sister Bonwell and Sister Harding's very good friend here today is visiting with us. Amen. We're so happy that you decided to be with us today. Amen. 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 And if all hearts and minds are clear, amen, let us stand for our benediction. encourage us to keep staying on the wall. Lord, and we ask in the name of Jesus that you continue to bless every soul under the sound of my voice. As we go from this place to our prospective homes and other destinations, Lord, continue to keep us in your perfect peace until we meet again. And Lord, we want to be so careful to give you all the praise 
and all the glory. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the whole church saying, Amen. Please be seated and obey the ushers. Amen.